Welcome to the Better Doctor Project podcast, where we link healthcare providers of all specialties to help us grow and learn from each other to be that much better for our patients. We sit down and talk about the fun things, the big and bright ideas, and we go over tons of practice tips and occasionally cover some pretty scandalous topics. Join us every episode to keep growing to become the best provider you can be. Let's get started. Welcome to episode 30. Our guest, William Fauché, is a chiropractor who does a lot of work with diversity and inclusion and has such a big passion for it. He actually started off on Better Doctor Project back on episode 18, talking about the ins and outs of diversity and inclusion within healthcare as a whole. We talked a lot about why diversity and inclusion matters and what we as a nation can be doing better at the professional level. So don't forget to check that one out if you haven't already. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. We're actually going to focus specifically on healthcare professional programs, so these universities and colleges, and we're going to chat about how how we can make them more diverse. That way we can be training professionals to better serve our future patients and improve overall public health. Like usual, Dr. Fauché is dropping bombs in today's episode to really help get us thinking outside the box and get us thinking the right way when it comes to diversity in some of these programs. Hey guys, we are here with Dr. William Fauché, and we're going to talk tonight about diversity and inclusion in health professional schools. Where are we at as a nation? What still needs to happen? What kinds of things should we be looking out for? So first off, Dr. Dr. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. So in your mind, where does the nation currently stand when it comes specifically to healthcare professional universities and schools with things like diversity and inclusion? So, you know, I think that, um, you know, a lot of the schools, especially in the professional schools, like beyond uh, like a like a bachelor's program in nursing, um, beyond the, those programs, you know, um, there is this requirement for, you know, um, physicians, assistant students or podiatrist students to give a personal statement. And I, I think that... Um, you know, that there's this uh, sort of recognition in giving our uh, personal statements that we um, really identify the things about us which um, uh, really uh, magnify our unique perspective. So, you know, the way that, you know, we might be able to serve um, specific groups of people or um, where we might uh, belong to an underrepresented group in a profession. So I, I really think that it kind of starts there. And I think that that um, in those prof- those professions and schools that use this sort of um, holistic application process where they look at, you know, um, exam scores and GPAs and, you know, um, extracurricular activities, that those sorts of things kind of uh, come into play as well. So I think that um, in general, the um, various uh, professional programs or training programs are uh, more... Uh, cognizant of the fact that uh, training a multicultural or uh, broadly diverse uh, medical uh, workforce is um, paramount to improved public health. So where are we? I think we're still growing, but some folks do it better than others. Yeah, it makes sense. And I know the first thing that jumps to my mind when you talk about that is some of the rural programs that some of the schools are creating for postgraduate work and um, even just starting practice for some of these healthcare professions. And, you know, putting putting 
in our brains, like, hey, you know, there are these populations of people who don't really have the greatest access to healthcare, you know, and if we can recruit people who care about these programs, you know, they're more likely to go work in those areas. They're more likely to see patients of those populations. Um, so I think a, a huge step would be to not only just create those programs, but to push them forward and make them attractive and try to encourage people to apply for these schools who care about those things. Um, obviously, incentives, you know, have their purpose. But I think if you truly, you know, try to recruit students who care about things like diversity and inclusion, even though technically we all should care. But if you, again, just try to recruit those students, you're naturally going to have this creation of healthcare providers who continue to care about those people, um, which is how we should want healthcare to be in the first place, if you really think about it. We touched on it, that it is important, obviously, for our future patients, that it's important for healthcare as a whole, um, and with that we should all care about it, like Dr. Beck just said. But can you really outline some real concrete reasons why diversity and inclusion is so important in healthcare professional schools? Okay, so um, there are two things that come to mind. One um, is just I want to reflect for a moment about um, what I just heard in the conversation, which is these programs training um, providers for rural areas, right? So there are these sort of you know geographic limitations and access to care. So you know one of the things that um, you know that sort of from a, a public health perspective or a social um, justice perspective that, you know, this language of like these food deserts uh, where, you know, folks um, are like five miles or more from a source of fresh food, right? Um, that this impacts their ability to have healthy lives, right? So in the same sense, there are those um, areas of the country and cities and county and, um, you know, those data exist and, and they exist, you know, based on um, the uh, parameters set by the federal government. They can tell you in this zip code at this intersection, it is medically underserved, right? So this is how those um, community health centers or federally qualified health centers or the FQHC lookalikes um, understand like, hey, we can and should go do medical business in this neighborhood for the health of the community, right? So um, healthcare professions who acknowledge that or professional schools that acknowledge that and engage in that, um, I think is a... Uh, a really important thing, not just for being active participants in the health of a community, but being really active in training a culturally competent workforce. So I'll give you a, a you know, a, an example. So many of the medical schools do rotations through all sorts of types of hospitals and, um, you know, and so medical students get a tremendous amount of exposure. Um, the University of uh, Bridgeport, uh, the College of Chiropractic in Bridgeport, Connecticut, they have a training system um, where uh, they do clinical rotations through federally qualified health centers, and lots of their students have that opportunity. And, um, you know, they have this exposure to, um, you know, special populations that they might not get otherwise, right? Because if they were just to stay on campus in a university clinic. Um, the other part of that that kind of uh, comes to mind is, um, you know, you ask, why is this like fundamentally important, right? And fundamentally, this is important because um, the, the general makeup of the United States of America is changing. And so uh, it's important that healthcare providers have the skills to uh, navigate between 
um, you know, diverse groups of people to manage, um, you know, expectations on outcomes, to have culturally competent in-office practices, and um, ultimately really to, you know, be the best possible provider that, uh, you know, the, stu- the student can be on graduation. Well, and getting that exposure as a student starts you off leaps and bounds ahead of somebody else. I mean, obviously anyone can pick this up and learn more about cultural competence at any point of practice, but I personally would rather be exposed to it as a student um, to not, you know, feel basically to feel like you're more confident in those situations and that you've studied them or had those experiences way ahead of time. Um, I know personally during my training, um, before my big internship, I actually had a two-week rotation during one of my clinicals where we went to a community outreach center downtown Davenport, Iowa, where you're primarily seeing, you know, the underinsured or people without insurance. And it's a completely different demographic than what I had been used to at the time. Um, And even though it was a short two weeks, I know that that experience single-handedly helped change my comfort level with certain conditions, with certain patients, with certain work environments. Um, You know, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, why doesn't why doesn't every single student get this opportunity? Um, because in my head, we should, you know, we should be able to be exposed to all different kinds of patients well before we graduate. And I know every school is different in how they do curriculums, but I thought that that is one thing, especially that my, that my graduate school really, really put at the forefront. I'm grateful for that. For, for me, it was a little, it was interesting because I felt like there definitely were tracks, you know, if you were interested in focusing more with sports, you would, you know, focus there. For, for our education, we had also clubs, right? So you could focus on different techniques and hone skills in certain patient populations that you uh, were interested in. And I think that's really great. But as a student, I feel like there's such a buffet of, of opportunities to learn these things, which is wonderful, but sometimes it's also overwhelming. And so you might go into school with the idea that you're going to be a sports physician and leave loving pediatrics if you had the opportunity to check all of it out. Um, but if you didn't and you kind of boxed yourself into a hole and you weren't forced to go through rotations, you may never know that or figure that out or may never you may not know what to do when the female athlete that you treat who loves you wants to bring in her whole family to you, um, which is where referrals come in and all that stuff. But I think that's why part of why we started Better Doctor Project is because we all have such different experiences, especially if you don't go through a uh, you know, major hospital system or any other residency um, program. So for myself, I didn't have an internship at a hospital um, or any federally qualified health center. Um, and I actually was working all the way through my doctorate program as well at a restaurant. And so we would get a lot of snowbirds down in Florida. And so I felt really comfortable with um, the elderly population and geriatric population because they came in in droves to see me in clinic and it was amazing. And I felt super confident with that, but I didn't feel confident with pediatrics. Love kids, also like handing them back, no problem with that. And so I didn't have that experience and I wanted to make sure I got it before I left school because if you're gonna make a mistake, I would much rather make it with my clinician there and all the help possible because they are going to walk through your door. So I actually chose a pediatric focused clinic because I felt like that was my weakest point and I wanted to learn more. Um, And so that's great, but I could have also chosen just to hone skills I already had um, rather than build new ones. And I think they're both very valuable places and, but they're different paths and it's hard to get all that exposure um, unless you're act seeking it out. 
Yeah. That's the key, I think, is you both just you both acknowledge that, right? Um, and I agree with you, is that the opportunity exists oftentimes, but you know, it is up to the the professional student to um take that choice, right? To um really, you know, get that exposure. And we don't all get the same uh exposure because we don't all have the same interest, of course. So what do you think the answer is for some of these schools who maybe aren't where they should be in terms of diversity inclusion? Like, let's say, um, I mean, for example, there are some chiropractic schools that could definitely boost some of their minority um, matriculation rates. What are some ways that schools can help that? What are, what are some, some ways for them to attract minorities as students? Uh, what are some events or programs that they can do as an institution to help make diversity and inclusion at the forefront? Have you seen any examples that, that have worked for some places? So I went, uh, I had a first choice chiropractic program and it was not the chiropractic program that I attended. So the reason that I went to my program was uh, I went to school at Northwestern in in Minneapolis or in uh, Bloomington. Uh, it's a Minneapolis suburb, and um, I had already made up where my mind where I was going. I'd already started the application process, and I realized that Northwestern offered a diversity scholarship. So it was a substantial scholarship, um, and I thought. Uh, for on the incoming every incoming class um, in the chiropractic program, two scholars are chosen, and each person receives a fifty percent tuition reduction. Fifty percent. Wow. wow. So, you know, and like that's uh, substantial for a chiropractic college education. So they still offer the scholarship, right? So I went. I interviewed for the scholarship. Um, so the, just the money part was like intriguing, right? But, um, you know, I was watching this. Uh, they used to have this really uh, interactive video. Um, you know, it was like when VR was first kind of coming out, you know, this virtual reality. <laughs> and so I could, you know, like you could move the mouse and it would like, you know, give you the panoramic view of the lounge or whatever. And there was this per- this person who I thought, oh, um, let me look her up. And I looked her up and I realized that she was a member of the LGBT community. And so I felt like um, going to a college where uh, they um, made an investment um, in every graduating class of the, of a hundred thousand lost tuition dollars over the course of the entire program that um uh, and, and they had, um, you know, some representation that mattered to me uh, on their faculty that it was an okay school to go to. Now, when I went to school there, I realized that the um, rest of the faculty was not so incredibly diverse. Um, and, uh, you know, so, you know, what I would look for. So I've been considering, um, you know, what matters for me for maybe um, an advanced degree. And as I've been looking into that, you know, for a non-professional degree, but an actual master's degree or PhD, that is absolutely one of the things that I'm looking at. How diverse are the people that I'm learning from? Because I want to learn from people who are going to motivate me and challenge me to um, investigate further about my biases or my barriers to being the, you know, the best type of doctor that I can be. Absolutely. And I, I would think that, 
you know, whichever school it is out there, whenever a school starts some of these programs, or maybe they start to have a scholarship, or they start to do this, this, and that in the world of diversity and inclusion, I would think some kind of a snowball effect would then take place, you know, kind of like everything you've been doing with the American Chiropractic Association, you know, when, um, when your committee first started and actually put diversity and inclusion on the map for the chiropractic profession, it was so brand new. And since then, I think you said what, it's been four, four or five years since so many other things yeah. have snowballed from that. So I feel like all it takes is the right person, whether it's a student, a faculty member, a professor, who, whomever, all it takes is really that one person to think, you know what this school needs? <laughs> a little bit of a push in the right direction. And it might seem so small at that point, but I feel like so many other things could come from it. Um, again, it could, it could start off with just one scholarship, but because of that scholarship, that recruits a student to come on board because of that student to come on board. Maybe he has friends that come on board. Maybe because those students go to the school, they stay on as faculty who are now diverse. So I, I really, I really think that's huge. So I want to tell you, I did not win the scholarship. <laughs> so I didn't win the scholarship, but there was, um, um, and the two people who did get the scholarship in my class did not go on to do really remarkable diversity and inclusion work, right? And so if they hear this, I just want you to know that I feel like you owe me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but the, the folks who did win the scholarship didn't go on to do the same sort of things that I do, though they do their own types of things in their communities, right? Um, and so... Um, after the fourth of uh, 10 trimesters, they had a scholarship called the Diversity Leadership Scholarship. And so I am a diversity leadership scholar. And that's where mm. you, uh, I had the opportunity to demonstrate my skill in leadership around um, diversity and inclusion. And so I did get a 50% tuition reduction for the last you know, five or six semesters in school, that's which is amazing. still substantial amount of money, right? Yeah, that's amazing. Do you think um, for our listeners who are no longer students and who are already practicing healthcare providers, is there something that they can do to help some of these institutions and schools? I, I know it's kind of tough when you're removed from a school, but is there any way we can contribute to the change from an educational level? You know, I think that uh, the alumni associations that are associated with each university or each uh, program tend to be really keen on meeting the kind of the needs of their uh, alumni members. You know, um, chiropractic colleges are not, uh, they don't have like such robust endowments as like some of the, you know, like a, an Ivy League school or, you know, a medical school that's been, you know, training medical doctors for 150 years. And the earning capacity for a chiropractor versus a medical doctor is a little different. So even the capacity for that chiropractic doctor to give financially, you know, so substantially is not, not really there. But um, as a student, you know, you have the privilege to ask for an inclusive environment. You have the right to say, for my tuition dollars, I expect this quality of education from this quality of institution. Mm -hmm. And then um, as a, uh, an alumni member, we have the right to say, you know, I want to be able to, 
you know, give to the institution through service and financial support, but I'm not willing to do that for an organization or institution that doesn't support, you know, uh, more inclusive practices. So, you know, there are some of the chiropractic colleges that are naturally much more diverse than others, um, just based on their location or their faculty or their, you know, um, admissions team or whatever. Uh, but um, one of the things I learned a really important lesson from somebody at the American Chiropractic Association. So I'm going to go ahead and name drop him because I think he's so cool. So his name is uh, Dr. Rodney Williams. He's the he's a former president of the American Black Chiropractic Association. And I was asking him about, you know, what do you think about this and uh, membership that and, you know, financially, how does this work? And what do you think? And he said to me, you know, people will put their money into the things that they find to be important. And that was such a game changer for me, like in terms of, um, you know, where it is I'm willing to give my money, where it is I'm willing to ask people to give money to the, the causes I support, right? Is if it's important, we'll give money for it if we can, right? Absolutely. It's really about sharing your understanding. Of it's important with those who have the power to make change. And also you just... Like Dr. Breck said, it takes, takes one person, but it takes one person who's also willing to make a little bit of a ruckus. It's, that's what leadership is, right? Leadership is um, being willing to um, exercise influence to you know, make some sort of change. Um, and nobody gets to the top uh, in leadership without you know, making some significant waves. And so if I'm going to make waves, I may as well make waves about something that benefits you know, lots of folks. And it's easier to make waves with a lot of people too. You also, another important aspect of leadership is finding the right team and also listening to your team, which I've both, I think Dr. Beck and I have both had the privilege of working with you, Dr. Fouché, on several teams. And one of the things I think you do best is genuinely listen to your team members. And it creates an environment that is so powerful um, that, you know, Anything can be accomplished. I think that's a really important aspect of leadership too. And finding that those teams and those people within each school um, is paramount to progressing diversity and inclusion in these professional schools. I'm definitely hopeful for the future. I think I think people are starting to have this on their consciousness more than ever. And um, I think we're getting more and more people in the right positions in leadership too, who actually want to make that difference. So thank you so much for joining us again, Dr. Fauche. You are incredible. Um, obviously, you know how uh, Dr. Mack and I feel about you. We could have you on our show every single week and be in love and be in heaven. Um, so again, thank you for chatting with us tonight about these important topics. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Y'all take good care. So my absolute favorite thing about Dr. Fauche is that he really gets your brain thinking in new ways that you just otherwise wouldn't. It's hard to explain, but he just opens up a part of your brain that just previously wasn't able to think in that way. And I love it. There's always somehow a new perspective he can just unlock while listening to him. So I really hope you felt that way too during today's episode. As always, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Better Doctor Project and tune into this episode's show notes for more information. You guys are awesome. I will see you next time. Hey, thanks for listening. To learn more, find us on Instagram or Facebook at Better Doctor Project or check out our website, betterdoctorproject.com. Don't forget to leave us a review and share us with a friend. It helps us reach more healthcare providers who are also striving to make an impact. Thanks again. See you next time.